Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. Ready? All right, here we go. From the 10, throwing end zone. Spectacular catch. They're saying it's a catch. Touchdown. You see, most gamblers, when they go to gamble, they go to win. Oh, my God. That's incredible. <laughs> Big bank, small bank, I like to make money. All right. That is the ultimate kibosh. You want to bet? <laughs> and we are underway. Welcome to another edition of the Action Network podcast. This is Chris Raybon from the Action Network with my guy, Sean Corner, and a special guest today from Fantasy Pros, the lead NFL writer and analyst, and a very cool guy I've gotten to meet a few times now, Mr. Mike Taglier. Mike, how you doing? It's good to be on the show with you, Chris. It's, it seems like it's been way too long since we have uh, talked in person or on a podcast. So uh, I was definitely looking forward to the show today. I love both of you guys. And uh, I just, in general, just love talking football. Yes, sir. And just for you guys out there, what we'll be doing today, Sean, Mike, and I, is we'll be talking wide receivers outside the top 12. You kind of know those guys, Sean and Matt and the guys hit on it last week. So we're going to get into guys outside the top 12, give you our top picks and our top fades for the tier two guys, the wide receiver twos, as well as the tier three guys. And then we're going to give you some deep sleepers. So keep listening all the way to the end. Sean, before we get into it, how you doing, my man? I missed you. Yeah, welcome back, uh, Raybon. Uh, yeah, I mean, we missed you for, what, about a week and a half now? So I, I, I missed out on another epic A.J. Green versus Keenan Allen debate, you know, a 10-minute <laughs> debate between you and Friedman. So welcome back, though. Oh, man, thanks. Yes, I was in Europe for about a week and a half. It was glorious. People go to Italy. Do yourself a favor. And let's get into it. Let's do you guys' favors out there. Mike, I'm going to start with you, and I just want to get your overall approach to the wide receiver position in fantasy. You know, how are you projecting guys? Are you drafting the position early? Are you kind of waiting? And just your overall thoughts on, on, on how you approach the wide receiver position. I've never been one of those guys that I'm like the team no strategy strategy where I never walk into a draft and say, this is what I'm aiming to do. And this is what I'm doing. I'll take value as it's presented to me. So uh, I won't avoid the wide receiver position and I, and I won't overly target it and say that it's overly important where I, I just think there's value in every position. Uh, but when it comes to projecting, you know, target share and things like that, you, you have to look at the history of the offense, whether it be the offensive coordinator, the head coach. And then on top of that, you know, people like to factor that in and that's fine. But you also have to look at the quarterback's history because there's clearly quarterbacks that tend to favor uh, certain positions on the field where it's like, you know, certain uh, quarterbacks like their slot targets. That certain uh, quarterbacks will, you know, tend to lean on their perimeter targets a little bit more because they know it's, it's typically a bigger wide receiver out there. Um, but looking at the, the, the distribution of those passes on the offense, the, the, you know, the, the history of the quarterbacks, that's what I'll use to project targets and shares and things like that. But when you have, uh, you know, situations like this year, where we have a few first-time offensive coordinators but when you have a defensive-minded head coach that walks in, it's typically going to hurt those target shares for a lot of the players. So there's just a lot to take into account for. And I think that, you know, I'm sure all three of us could sit down and have a show basically just on how we come up with projections and, and why certain things are the way they are and why we feel the way we do. Uh, but in the end, it's like, you know, you, you study the rankings, you, you try and finesse them to the best of your ability, and then you try and, you know, adjust as the draft goes on. So 
it's, it's really tough to say if there's exactly one thing that I lean on when it comes to, you know, my wide receiver decisions. Absolutely. Sean, I'm going to kick it to you in a second, but Mike, I just wanted to get your thoughts really quick on something that tends to come up a lot, especially with wide receivers, and that's regression to the mean. How do you kind of factor that in? Yeah, actually, it's funny you mentioned this. I'm going to actually, I did an article on Monday that came out and uh, tomorrow, Wednesday morning, I will have an article up on wide receivers in regards to who scored more than points than they were expected to because every single target on the football field, it equals a certain amount of fantasy points. Like a non-red zone target equals this. You know, a target inside the 20 is this. Inside the five is this. They all have an expected fantasy points for the average wide receiver. And when you go in there and you see, okay, what players scored more than average? What players were actually worse than average? And you kind of look at that. You're going to see some players like a Mike Williams who, you know, on 66 targets finishes a top 20 wide receiver. There's clearly going to be regression there. But what you can do is you could say, okay, I feel like this player is an elite talent and I Obviously, he's going to score more than average. The question is, what does the elite player usually score above average? You know, like I can go to quarterbacks right now and I could say Patrick Mahomes, according to my research, he threw 16 more touchdowns than he was technically supposed to last year based on where his throws took place in the field. Elite quarterbacks, okay, they typically end in the four to six, maybe seven touchdown range. So even if you regress him back to an elite level and say that he's going to throw seven touchdowns more than he's supposed to, he's going to have regression. So it's basically trying to figure out what is that average and then say, is this player, do I really feel like he's above average as a talent? And if so, then you obviously adjust for that as well. But guys like Mike Williams, you know, I'm sure we're going to talk about today, is that he's someone that, yes, he's going to have touchdown regression, but he's also going to have natural progression in his career. You know, he's going into his third year in the league. Uh, he's going to get more targets with Tyrell Williams gone. There's just a lot of factors that go into that stuff. But um, regression is real. And yes, there are outliers. But in the end, we're playing a game that you, you want to bet on odds. And the odds are is that, you know, a player like Mike Williams and Patrick Mahomes, those guys are going to regress this year when it comes to their touchdowns. Absolutely. That's a great point. I think, you know, you really have to look at the sample size too, because now, you know, that first year we didn't know anything about Mike Williams. Now we've, you know, yes, he only got 60 uh, targets or whatever it was, but um, you look at the snaps that he was on the field, the amount of routes that he run and it starts piling up. And I think that's how you really have to look at it um, with wide receivers. Sean, um, you know, just any quick thoughts on, on your overall approach, maybe just more your approach for the guys, I guess, outside the top 12, once you start getting a little further uh, in the draft. From last week's pod, um, I mentioned my, my approach at wide receiver this year is to go pretty heavy early on. Going beyond my median projections that I make, um, I just know how the season typically unfolds. And, you know, I'm, I'm more confident in my ability to be able to stash high upside running backs, you know, potential waiver wire gems, get value late. And, you know, at the end of last year, I had guys like Gus Edwards, Damian Williams, even Justin Jackson, uh, CJ Anderson, my championship team. So, um, you know, I, I just know I can get value there late, but wide receiver, you can't really get, you know, a top 12 wideout just by picking him up in season. So I typically like to spend, uh, you know, high draft capital to get those guys lock in to the top, ideally to the top, like eight or nine wide receivers. Um, so I've been kind of avoiding this, uh, this wide receiver two tier. This is usually when I'm loading up at running back or tight end. So, um, yeah, I like all these guys that we're going to talk about, but just my draft strategy has has been, you know, loading up on wide receiver early uh, and then filling in the other positions uh, in, the, in the middle rounds. Mike, all of us, we do a ton of drafts, whether it's best ball, you know, industry expert drafts. We got a, a tan mock draft going on right now. All these different things. Who's one guy at wide receiver that you just have, you just own a lot of, like you just draft in 
all over the place. Yeah, I, I put up a profile on him this morning, and uh, A.J. Green is severely underrated uh, in terms of what he brings to the table. And, you know, everybody's like the, the age 30 threshold and this and that. And, and it's kind of uh, like it's overblown in terms of like when a wide receiver turns 30, does he lose upside? No. The age is 32 is, is according to my research, what I found out is that it's 32 when a player loses elite upside and AJ Green has been, he hasn't ever been really the elite, like Calvin Johnson type player. Like, you know, the guy that's going to like win you a fantasy league based on what he does, you know, from week to week. He's not that guy. He's a very consistent player in terms of like wide receiver two, wide receiver three production with wide receiver one spikes. That's what you're looking for. You know, like you're looking for a guy with a floor, like and getting him in the third round, sometimes fourth round in best ball leagues is just it's kind of nuts right now. Um, there's only four. So over the past 20 years, I've gone back and looked at, uh, you know, wide receiver two or better hit rates. And when it comes down, there's only four wide receivers who have posted better wide receiver two or better numbers than AJ Green. And they're all for being drafted inside the top 15 picks of fantasy drafts this year. AJ Green, I own 36% in best ball leagues. And I know that's like overexposed to a player, but I'm okay with it when it comes to AJ Green, because when he's on the field, the dude's just money. Absolutely. A.J. Green, every year of his career, averaged at least 4.3 catches per game and has been at at, at least 67 yards per game. Sean, what about you? Uh, I'm pretty spread out, especially near the top, but I would say later on, I'm probably – I have – Quite a bit of exposure to James Washington. I, I could talk about him later, but I'm I'm just trying to invest on him that AB uh, target void that he's leaving behind. And you know James Washington is going late enough where I think he's worth the risk where he's going. So I, I'm pretty high on him this year. Just a quick, I guess we'll talk about him now just for a quick second. Uh, how do you see, because a lot of people uh, are also high on Dante Moncrief. Uh, some of the beat writers think he'll be the starter. Um, but I know, you know, Washington – is it kind of fits that profile of a year two breakout. And that's kind of the, the year where wide receivers make a jump. So how are you kind of differentiating between um, Washington and Moncrief and then the rookie um, Deontay Johnson in a competition that's probably still wide open Ryan Switzer as well, um, probably competing for, for a slot or a top three job uh, in, in that wide receiver core. Yeah. So, I mean, in our tan mock draft that you just mentioned, I took uh, James Washington around nine. I just think he has the most upside of those guys. And then I actually took Moncrief in round 12, sort, sort of hedging my bets a little bit. But yeah, I have uh, in, in the dynasty league that I'm in with tags, I, I drafted Deontay Johnson and, you know, he, he's more of a dice roll, you know, long term. But um, I, I'm typically not getting him in, you know, redraft formats quite yet. But um, I think just drafting both Washington and Moncrief, just kind of just getting all that pie for just trying to get that number two wide receiver in that offense. Um, I, I think drafting both of them is actually a pretty smart strategy. And also Vance McDonald, I've been getting a ton of Vance. I think he could fill that void too, um, especially in the red zone. So uh, I've been kind of loading up on uh, Washington, Moncrief and McDonald. Yeah, I think Juju Smith-Schuster is better in that big slot role. And that would open up two outside spots um, for Moncrief and Washington. So I like that strategy. Uh, for me, it, it's, it's Christian Kirk. Um, I, I think that, you know, he was extremely impressive in, in year one in Arizona. And a lot of people didn't notice that he did it for a team that had one of the five worst passer ratings of the past half decade. So, I mean, you know I'm high on Kyler Murray, but any way you slice it, I think the Cardinals quarterback situation will be better than it was last season. Uh, Christian Kirk, primed for a year to jump probably leads that team in target. So that's been the guy that I'm overweight on. 
Uh, Mike, I'll kick it back to you. Who's a guy that you've been fading that has an average draft position in the top 36? Yeah, that's Tyler Lockett for me. I understand the reasons why people want to boost him and the fact that, you know, Doug Baldwin not being there and the target increase or what they're expecting. But I mean, the guy saw 71 targets last year. And let's not pretend that Doug Baldwin was actually in the lineup, you know, for much of the, the, the year. He wasn't himself. Uh, Tyler Lockett was forced to step into a role. And did you guys know, Tyler Lockett had one game with more than six targets and it was seven targets. So it was not like it was a massive <laughs> game. He had one game with more than six targets. So they clearly don't view him as a target hog. Obviously, they don't throw the ball very much in Seattle. They're going to run the ball, you know, 32 plus times per game, which is why I believe there's fantasy relevance for both Chris Carson and Rashad Penny this year. But Tyler Lockett, you know, that article I mentioned that'll be up tomorrow morning, Lockett scored 84 more points than the average player would have last year on his targets. So to give you an idea, Tyreek Hill was 65 last year. Like Tyreek Hill breaks efficiency. That's what he does. So he's like the outlier. You're in the league. We know who Tyler Lockett is. Granted, he had a spike in touchdowns. He was extremely efficient on his targets, but dialing him back, there is no way that I'm going to draft him, you know, above some of the guys he's going, he's going inside the top 20 right now, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, Tyler Lockett, I'm not going to own any of them. Woo! I am not that down on Tyler Lockett. I'm actually pretty high on Lockett. I think that um, a real big reason is kind of, it's almost similar to Tyreek Hill. It's, it's kind of that, that talent when you have that, that kind of skill set mixed with the quarterback, because I think we always forget how good Russell Wilson is. So when you see a guy like Lockett outperform, um, you know, his expectation, I think Russell Wilson does play into that to a certain extent, but I certainly do get it. I mean, Lockett has never shown uh, the ability to really command a high percent, uh, a high percentage of targets really. So um, I think, you know, he still does have to prove that. Uh, but I do think that he will clearly be the featured uh, part of that uh, offense for what, who is a really good quarterback. And I don't know how they can run any less. So, <laughs> uh, but uh Sean, how about you? Who's the guy that you are fading? Because, uh, you know, Mike came pretty heavy with that Tyler Lockett take just now. Well, I get it, though. Um, and, and, you know, it, his efficiency will certainly go down. But if, if he lines up in the slot more and takes over more of that Doug Baldwin role, I think he can make up some of that ground um, in loss efficiency if he gets more targets. But uh, I'm with him, especially in that range. Uh, I'm usually not targeting wide receivers anyway. Uh, but one guy that I, I feel like I'm not getting any of, uh, especially in standard formats would be Julian Edelman. I think his, his ADP of wide receiver 15 uh, is a bit rich for me. Um, I don't really have any bad things to say. Obviously when, when he's on the field, he's, he's an elite option, but um, you know, he's a guy that uh, he, he misses a ton of time. Um, you know, looking back, he averages about 3.2 missed games a season. That's not even including his uh, 2017 season where he missed uh, with a torn ACL. Um, so I'm actually docking quite a bit for missed games. Um, and, you know, he's, he's 33 now. He's taken a, you know, a lot of licks over the middle. So he's a guy that um, he's actually never – he's finished two times in the top 20. And a lot of that's due from, from missed time. So he's a guy I'm docking some right there. And, uh, you know, just, um, just white receiver 15. You're, you're, you're just better off just, um, you know, getting some of these younger guys with upside while – uh, Julian Edelman's just I, I'm pretty much getting none of Julian Edelman where, where he's going right now yeah I can definitely understand it he's a guy that's extremely tough to project because I usually start with kind of a baseline of one missed game for most wide receivers and he's a guy you have to just kind of go in and manually override and, and say how many games is he really going to play uh, but when yeah. he's on the field I think he's a strong PPR option uh, standard leagues totally different situation because he just hasn't shown as much of the uh, touchdown upside throughout the years uh, as some other guys getting that amount of targets. Uh, for me, the guy I'm fading 
is Kenny Galladay. Um, and this is, I really like Galladay as a player. I thought last year he was a, you know, extremely good pick. And I think he was going like the eighth, ninth round. But this year, it's just, you have the Lions, you have them talking about, we want to run more. You have Daryl Bevel, who's a historically run-heavy coordinator. Uh, you have Marvin Jones coming back. You have Danny Amendola there in the slot. You have Kerryon Johnson. You have Theo Riddick, who probably won't get cut regardless of what they say. Um, you still have C.J. Anderson going to get some snaps. They want to do more two tight end sets. Like, I just don't know how Ga- if Gaudi, like runs away with the target share uh, the way he did last year when, you know, they traded Tate midseason. Guys got uh, – Jones was hurt, and, and all these things were going on. Uh, on a lower-volume offense, I think uh, Gaudi could be kind of that he- – he'll have to be a lot more efficient, kind of in the Tyler Lockett vein – uh, to replicate uh, his production. So he's a guy I'm not really looking to draft at that point. I think Marvin Jones is interesting arbitrage actually on, on Galladay. So um, that's where I am on that. Let's get into this tier two of wide receivers. Um, and just by average draft, these are the guys, you know, number 13 to 24, AJ Green, Stefan Diggs, Julian Edelman, Tyreek Hill, Robert Woods, Brandon Cooks, Kenny Galladay, Chris Godwin, Calvin Ridley, Cooper Cup, Tyler Lockett, and Mike Williams. So we already talked about a few of these guys. Before we get into, you know, who our favorite guys in this particular tier are and who the guys were were fading strictly in this tier, I just want to ask you guys, and uh, Mike, I'll kick it to you first. How are you approaching the Rams wide receivers? Because I just mentioned three names. They're all on the Rams. Woods, Cooks, and Cooper Cup, who's coming off a ACL injury. Can all of these guys really finish in the top 24? I think it's possible. It's a rare scenario where that happens, but fortunately, Sean McVay is a rare coach, you know, in terms of what he brings. Um, you know, he's very, he's very wide receiver focused. The tight ends, basically, we thought Gerald Everett because they spent a second round draft pick that he would eventually grow into a bigger role and it just never happened. And it's something I was waiting on and waiting and waiting and it just never really happened. So uh, if there's anybody that's going to be slow to come on, I think it would be Cup and he would be on the cusp of that wide receiver, you know, the top 24. Uh, but I do think that it helps. I'm sure Sean would agree into this that, you know, if Todd Gurley is going to have a, you know, a dialed back role in the offense, I think that's going to, you know, favor the targets to the wide receivers. I mean, I just don't see the tight ends all of a sudden becoming involved after they spent, you know, draft pick equity on Tyler Higby and Gerald Everett, you know, after, while not using them for a couple of years. I mean, I know that Henderson was drafted and they're expecting a lot out of him, but Sean, I'm sure Sean would agree. And I mean, tell me what you think on this. And do you think that, you know, with Gurley dealing with this injury, do you think that some of those targets would be spread out to the wide receivers this year? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm also looking at, you know, they, they led the league in attempts inside the five yard line. So it, it could also translate into more touchdowns in general for the passing game. I have all three receivers ranked inside my top 20. Now, week to week, they might trade off, you know, who goes off, which two go off and which guy suffers at the expense of the other two. Um, it, it was weeks four and nine, all three went off. So in the long run, they're all very likely, you know, to finish inside the top 24. Uh, but you're going to have weeks where they trade off. Uh, I think a smart strategy in season-long redraft leagues would be to draft two of them. Um, it kind of helps boost your team's floor, um, specifically pairing a guy like Cooks with either uh, Cup or Woods. Um, Cooks is, you know, the the biggest boom-bust type of receiver out of the three. So if you if you pair him with uh, Cup or Woods, it's, it's going to naturally boost your team's floor. And I, I keep emphasizing it, but I see so many people treat rec- uh, redraft leagues almost like best ball or DFS tournaments where, you know, you don't have to beat all 11 teams every week. You just need to beat your opponent. So 
uh, one of the most valuable things you could do is just raise your team's floor. So there, there's times where you're looking for upside and things like that, but having a strategy where you know you pair cooks with these other two guys is a really sneaky way to raise your team's floor, and it, it'll translate more wins long-term in season-long leagues. Yeah, I like that call on Brandon Cooks a lot. Cooper Cup, he just does so much for that offense. I mean, Jared uh, Goff's eight, uh, yards per attempt soars with Cup in the lineup. And if you even look at Brandon Cooks' numbers with Cup in the lineup last season, uh, he averaged 8.4 targets, 6.3 catches, 103 yards mm -hmm. receiving with Cup in the lineup in yep. seven games. With Cup out, uh, 7.1 targets, four and a half receptions, so 1.8 fewer receptions, and only 61 yards receiving, so 42 less yards. Cup just gives the defense another guy to kind of pay attention to over that middle, so you can't really devote as much attention to a guy like Brandon Cooks, and he's going to get more single coverage, and he's going to kind of find uh, more space in those zones, so um, I, I think that's a really good call, um, and I also like just in general uh, the I think if these three guys are healthy all year and you add Henderson, Gurley's still going to be there. I mean, he's not going to disappear. Uh, Mike, you mentioned the two tight ends. I mean, who is Jared Goff not throwing to? I mean, who is Goff throwing to that, you know, cannot – is not just a baller, right? Like, I love the – I love just taking Goff late as a quarterback and getting all of that upside and not even having to kind of figure out from week to week, um, you know, who's going to go off. Because I think Jared Goff, with the supporting cast, has MVP – uh, potential. So um, I think these guys can all three finish in the top 24. I'm a little more bearish on, on Cup. I have him a little lower just because he's coming off the injury. And I think um, I think Cooks really came on down the stretch and he'll probably maintain and, and get ben and benefits from from Cup. But um, yeah, I, I think this this offense has a really high ceiling. So Jared Goff um, is, is another guy that I would just look at at, at the quarterback position. Yep. Let's uh, let's talk about. OK, so, we you know, we talked about you know, AJ Green already. Who are a couple of guys, Mike, that in this wide receiver two tier, particularly, um, that you just want to have as your wide receiver two? Um, yeah. I know you already mentioned AJ, so um, I guess a couple of other guys besides AJ. Yeah, I mean, ideally, you're looking for guys that when you draft a player in the wide receiver two tier, you're you're ideally looking for someone that's going to give you that consistent wide receiver two production with wide receiver one upside. You don't want to – I like Sean's point on Julian Edelman because I'm so torn on him because I feel like he really is someone that if you're in a PPR format that you should want to draft because when he's in the lineup, he's just gold. It's like he's going to deliver those high-end wide receiver two numbers. You really don't have any worry about him busting uh, from week to week, but the injuries have piled up, and his price doesn't reflect the lack of upside because he's not going to finish as a top 12 fantasy wide receiver that's just not going to happen at 33 years old it doesn't happen uh so he i like sean's point on him but i mean tyree kill in this range that's not going to stay like that for long um so i mean if he obviously was there i'd take him but uh Stephon Diggs is someone that I really do like. We've seen an arc in his career where we've seen him rise. And, you know, knowing that Kirk Cousins, it was his first year with the Vikings last year, and it was like he was growing into that team. Now, they threw the ball a whole lot in the beginning of the year, and then they, they slowly tuned it back when they changed offensive coordinators. But Stephon Diggs didn't stop producing. Adam Thielen was the one who actually hurt when they started losing volume. So for, to me, it feels like Kirk Cousins leans on Stephon Diggs, and he likes him as a wide receiver, and he showed that he could produce at a wide receiver one level last year. And again, we've seen natural progression in his career career you know they built up the offensive line a little bit there I know Dalvin Cook people are expecting big things but Stefan Diggs is a player that you can get in the wide receiver two tier that has wide receiver one upside and uh, as 
Sean mentioned Brandon Cooks. We talked about him. He's continually underrated. He's a guy that has wide receiver one upside every single week. And as we've talked about, I love your take too, Chris, and the fact that Jared Goff is uh, – I took Jared Goff in the pros versus Joe draft uh, the other night, and someone criticized me for taking him over Mitch Trubisky. I like Trubisky, but I'm yeah. like, wait a minute. We have the same coaching staff, the same receivers. There's so much continuity here. I am a little worried about the offensive line. They've lost a couple pieces. But, I mean, I don't know how you don't like Jared Goff as a top 10 option. You know, that's a top six scoring offense. They're going to score a lot of points. Uh, so tying yourself to Brandon Cooks as a potential wide receiver one, I'm all over it. But basically what you're shooting for, you're looking for a team that's going to produce, you know, top 12 in points. Like when you're looking for a guy that potentially has wide receiver one upside, which is why, to me, Kenny Galladay does not belong in this tier. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, Galladay is a fine player. I just hate the team. I, I really do. I don't want any part of the Lions. I think that the stat I came across with was all top 16 wide receivers in fantasy last year were part of top 18 scoring offenses. I cannot convince myself that the Lions are going to be a top 18 team this year when it comes to points per game. So Galladay's really – I'm lacking to find the upside, and Marvin Jones hasn't gone away. Yeah, I think Galladay – and he's not – it's not like Galladay's a quick twitch guy to where he yep. could just, you know, every game 10 targets like, like a Antonio Brown or even a Diggs could do – um, so, so I'm with you there. Sean, how about you? Who are a couple guys that you are just targeting as your wide receiver too? I know you're kind of uh, avoiding the, the tier in general a little bit, but if you, if you did have to pick, have to pick from it, who are you targeting? Well, I, I'm going against the grain a little bit here because uh, Kenny Galladay is a guy that I've been getting <laughs> uh, later in drafts. Um, now, mind you, uh, I'm usually taking two studs early on, so he's typically my wide receiver three when I take him. I think that's fair. I think all the points you guys made are fair with him. Um, you know, he ended as the wide receiver 20 last year, so his ADP of wide receiver 19. Um, I think there's some value of a year three breakout. He definitely has wide receiver one upside. We all know that based on his talent. Um, it makes sense. Um, I know the Lions want to be more balanced, but I, I do have him projected to be a below 500 team, so I, I don't think they're going to get away with that. Um, and Bevel, you know, he had AP in his prime in Minnesota, and then uh, beast mode is prime in Seattle. So, I mean, how the hell else would you run those offenses? <laughs> they want to be a balanced team, all that, but I, I don't buy it. I think they're going to have to throw. And, you know, Galladay could be that guy. I'm not worried about Amendola or even TJ Hawkinson. Um, so with Galladay, you know, all those things aside, I can't, we can't just get a bunch of guys on the Chiefs and Colts. So we're going to have to yeah. uh, pick guys from a system we don't really like. So, so with him, it's more just betting on talent, if anything. Yeah, I think he's going to be a polarizing player. And, you know, whoever if – you, if you have a lot of them, he's probably going to – it's either going to be a boom or bust with him. I think you're either going to get a ton of value from it or you're probably going to be a little disappointed. So it'll be interesting to see um, with him. Uh, let's talk about some guys we are – well, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll talk really quickly about the, a couple of guys that I like. I think you already hit on them. I think A.J. Green um, falling, you know, out of the top 12 is just money. Uh, in the bank, and I, I like the uh, I, I like the year two if uh, breakout potential of uh, a guy like Calvin Ridley um, on the Falcons. I know that he's behind Julio Jones, but you know even behind Julio Jones, um, he put up impressive numbers in year one. Showed that he could score the football. I think you know being in being uh, another year with Matt Ryan. I know their their uh, offensive coordinator is changing. It's a dirt cutter, but, um, you know, Matt Ryan has worked with him before. I just think there, there's a major upside for that year two jump, which I've found nowadays wide receivers are making bigger jumps in year two than in year three. So um, I, I kind of tend to uh, project a little more aggressively, guys, um, jumping from year one to year two. And, and uh, 
and, and in the year two to year three guys, I'm just kind of looking for the values there. Like I think, you know, guy like Corey Davis might be, you know, we might've seen the, the jump already. I don't know if there's another one, guys like that. So um, I really like uh, Calvin Ridley as well on, on the Falcons. I think, um, I, I think he's going to have a, a great year. And I think Mohamed Sanu will probably take another step back in terms of that, that pecking order. Um, but let's get into some guys that we are fading. Mike, who are some guys that, you know, you're just completely, um, it, you know, you don't want any of in this tier. I know you already talked about Tyra Lockett. Um, and you expressed you're kind of torn on Edelman. So, uh, yeah, who else are you fading, I guess, besides Lockett? Yeah, Galladay was the other one that I'm, I'm absolute fit, the fade, uh, as mentioned, for those reasons. Because I, I feel like this next, the next year we're going to talk about, like, that you can get in wide receiver three range. There's a player right now going 25 spots, uh, like, overall spots later. So you're talking over two-round difference between Galladay and Alshon Jeffrey. Alshon Jeffrey has the same exact opportunity. He's dealt with injuries throughout his career. But, I mean – we're, we're entering a point now where he has a guy in J.J. Arcega-Whiteside that they're waiting in the wings, and, and Jeffrey's essentially playing for the remainder of his contract. You know, he could be a free agent after this year. He knows that. He knows that it's, potential, it's possible that they cut him after this year. So, essentially, he's treating it like that. I think he's going to be on the field. And, again, 25 spots later than Galladay, I would argue that Jeffrey's quarterback is better. I would argue that his offense is better. I would say that he's the clear-cut number one, whereas Marvin Jones, when he's been on the field with Galladay, it's been, a, it's been a 1A, 1B situation. Can you guys talk me out of that? Nah, I mean, you know, I think, I think Sean, I think you guys, I think you and Mike need to kind of go back and forth on this Galladay thing, maybe have a legendary, uh, you know, AJ Green, Keenan Allen, because I mean, I don't know, what do you think? No, no, I, like I said, all the point, all the negative points on Galladay are fair, and that's why I'm saying, usually when I take him, it's my wide receiver three, because I'm more willing to take on that risk as wide receiver three, but if he's your wide receiver two, that's a little bit rich for me, so it, it all, it all goes to your draft plan. Um, what you know what your goals are so um, yeah I'm a bit torn on Galladay but like I said last year in DFS I was super overweight on him so he's my boy so I'm gonna stick with him but uh, so now we know Sean Sean yeah. has got the the bias we also have to factor in you know Stafford was apparently playing last year with the broken back so I, I'm expecting him to bounce back maybe not the levels we're used to but um, last year was pretty brutal for him so I think improved play from Stafford will help Galladay out tremendously Anyone you're fading um, besides – I know you're, uh, you're off Edelman, right? Yeah, well, like I mentioned, this tier doesn't really fit into my draft strategy. But, you know, another thing with Edelman, I'm not big on, you know, projecting missed games necessarily. We've talked about this, but he's already dealing with a camp injury. Uh, he injured his thumb, so he's going to miss three weeks. So it's one of those things where he's already hurt. He, he took the steroids to help come back from the ACL. He's at the point where – you know, he, he's got a risk, you know, do I try to try to take PEDs and get out of the radar or miss some games being hurt? So just, just with him, I, I just think there's too many question marks. And I really don't like to be that guy that, you know, projects a lot of missed games just based on, you know, my intuition. But he, he's the guy that uh, from this tier, I'm completely fading. Yeah, I think, you know, missed games, it's really tough because I think for wide receivers, usually you're going to get about one missed game a year. I think when you have a larger body of work, you kind of treat it like any other stat, you know, now you have about a, what is it, 10, 9, 10 year career. He's consistently missed time. And so you kind of have to factor that in a little bit more. But Mike, I am with you on a guy like Alshon Jeffrey that you can get uh, later on. And I think in general, you do kind of want to think of, uh, of some of these opportunities to, to get a very similar player um, later on. And that's how you kind of build your draft strategy. So I do think, you know, some of those types like uh, Allen Robinson is another guy that I wouldn't mind having that I think could easily yep. uh, outscore Kenny Gaude in, in that same Alshon Jeffrey big big wide receiver mold. 
Um, so I'm with you there. Uh, only guy that I'm really, I guess, lower on in this tier is Cooper Cup, and it has nothing to do with Cup himself. I just I think it's a lot safer bet, you know. To Jared Goff's uh, yards per attempt is like 8.2, so I kind of look at teams in their overall offenses when I'm uh, making my draft plan, and I just think in terms of investing in the Rams' offense, uh, I'd much rather invest in a guy like Goff in like round 9, 10, 11, then take Cup as a top 24 guy coming off the injury. Um, I just feel like that's a, a little – with all the other targets there, and that's the real thing. It's because, you know, Cup does a lot to open up the offense, but he does a lot to open up the offense for other players as well. And, you know, coming off uh, the injury, you know, Goff might be a little more willing to, to kind of go to a, a Cooks and Woods who he established a greater rapport with. You know, Reynolds is still there. And, of course, Gurley Henderson may kind of complicate things a little bit too. So um, he's a guy I feel has a little bit of a lower floor than, than some of these other guys. And then, of course, uh, already mentioned Kenny Galladay, who I think on a week-to-week basis, I think the floor is going to be low. I, I think the ceiling is still there, but, but the floor will be low because this, again, probably going to be a, a run-heavy uh, offense that plays a lot of two tight end sets. And you have a guy in Marvin Jones, similar type of player, could easily uh, – have just as many targets as Galladay in a given week. Uh, let's go to this wide receiver three tier now. Uh, now you have Sammy Watkins as the, the number 25. Carolina's second-year man, DJ Moore, number 26. Tyra Boyd just signed a big contract extension with the Bengals, number 27. Jarvis Landry uh, on the Browns, number 28. Already mentioned Philly's Alshon Jeffrey, wide receiver 29. Allen Robinson, wide receiver 30, then Will Fuller uh, of the Texans, Robbie Anderson of the Jets, Christian Kirk of the Cardinals, Dante Pettis year two with the 49ers, Sterling Shepard, and Corey Davis. Uh, let's start with, with you, Mike, and uh, mention a lot of names, kind of seem a little more boom and bust than the last year, obviously. Who are a couple of guys in this tier that you are targeting more than the others? There are a lot more boomer bust guys in this category, and I think a lot of guys that are questionables. But at the same time, I th- this is where, like, I feel like if you snag, you know, you go running back heavy in the first two rounds, you get AJ Green as your wide receiver one. I'm fine with that in the third, and then you wait till this tier and you take Alshon Jeffrey and uh, Allen Robinson. So there were only 15 wide receivers in the league last year who saw 120 plus targets, 15 of them. Okay, all but one finished as a top 16 fantasy wide receiver. That one was Jarvis Landry, who was like the least in a, least efficient wide receiver in all of football. Like he was terrible last year in terms of efficiency. Um, so getting Alshon Jeffrey and Allen Robinson this late in drafts just feels like stealing. I understand they're not sexy picks. Like people are thinking it's sexy to draft Chris Godwin or Calvin Ridley expecting that breakout. And it's not to say it's not possible, but those guys are clearly the number two options on their team. You can go down to Allen Robinson and Alshon Jeffrey, who are the clear-cut number one receivers on their team, capable of that 120, maybe 140 targets for those guys, and you know, play in high-scoring offenses. You know, you can't hate Doug Peterson's offense for wide receivers. You can't hate Matt Nagy's offense for scoring points. So I, I just feel like there's so much to like about these guys in this tier that honestly the other guys just aren't even close for me. Now that's an interesting point. I want to get your, your thoughts on this before I kick it to you, Sean. Uh, but Mike, you kind of mentioned that Alshon Jeffrey, the number one wide receiver on his team, but still the number two target on his team behind Zach Ertz. Does that factor in as all at all? Like if a guy is, uh, if a wide receiver is the number one receiver on his team, but the number two target still, do you value that more than a guy who's, who's just, you know, the number two target behind another wide receiver? 
Yes and no. Um, so the correlation with targets, it, it, when it comes to tight ends, it, a lot of time it impacts uh, running backs. The fact, like a stat that I found that I was like, it blows my mind every time I say it, but over the last three years, there has not been a tight end running back duo on any team, like a single running back, single tight end, who have topped 196 targets. That is ridiculous to me. So when you tell, if you tell me that all of a sudden Sproles is back on the team or, you know, that Miles, that Sanders works his way into the starting lineup. I mean, if Sanders sees, you know, 50 targets, all of a sudden we're looking at a max target share of Zach Ertz. It's going to come down. Ertz is going to come down to earth. Like we saw that as the year went on last year, you know, Dallas Goddard has a natural progression. He earned more snaps going forward. Deshaun Jackson's going to change that offense a little bit, stretch the field, which means Alshon Jeffrey is going to get more one-on-one matchups. Ertz and Kittle for me a little bit. I'm fading those guys a little bit. I feel like they're overhyped. Whereas uh, Kelsey, He's the guy. Like, he's a guy that I don't see any target regression at all. That defense is terrible in Kansas City. Uh, but when you look at the other guys, I can see target regression for both of them. So, yeah, it does factor in a little bit because obviously that's a massive target share that Ertz is stealing. But I do think it comes down this year. It's interesting you mentioned that because there's also the factor that Alshon Jeffrey in these last two years with the Philadelphia Eagles played a lot of games with Nick Foles or, or, or a few games with Nick Foles. Not every game was with, with Carson Wentz. So, Wentz targeting Jeffrey in the regular season 7.8 times per game uh, over the 23 games they played together. And then in the other six that Jeffrey played, he was only getting 5.3 targets per game. Now, he was actually averaging more yards in the six games Wentz didn't play, 60 (laughs) yards to 55. Um, But it's clear that Wentz, I think, uh, a little bit more so than Foles perhaps, uh, does like to to, to look to Alshon Jeffrey now – the rookie, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, could complicate that a little. Deshaun Jackson's presence could complicate that a little because I think, you know, he's, a, he's obviously an upgrade from a, a guy like Mike Wallace or Torrey Smith or, or somebody like that. Mm-hmm. Well, Wallace didn't even get to play. But it's interesting with Jeffrey because I think he's probably a guy that's going to slip. He's not sexy. And mm-hmm. he probably will outperform his average draft position at the end of the day. Uh, Sean, I will kick it to you now. Who are some guys in this – wide receiver three tier that you are looking to target yeah so first off I I love the Jeffrey and Robinson calls I think they probably have the best um, ceiling floor combo in this tier like I mentioned earlier I'm pretty much done drafting wide receiver by the time we get here so this is more of my potential flex or just the first wide receiver on my bench so I typically go for higher upside here Uh, the two guys I'm targeting are a little bit later in this tier that's Dante Pettis and Robbie Anderson um, you know, with Pettis, he, he flashes potential last year in his rookie season, um, but he wasn't really a full-time player um, until like week 12. It was weeks 12 and through 15, he, uh, he played 50 snaps a game. He was the number three wide receiver overall. And that was with Nick Mullins at QB. So I think with Jimmy G, that should be an upgrade. Um, I know he'll have some competition with Kittle again and Debo Samuel. Good one when he comes back. But, um, you know, I just think he has that potential as my – uh, wide receiver stash where um, I really like to target later in the drafts. And then my boy, the past couple of years, and we've talked about length where he's benefited from that depth chart, just being awful behind him. So, you know, just they've had no one else to throw to. Um, so this year, you know, when they bring in uh, Crowder, Anunua is going to be healthy again. They even bring in Love Bell, great pass catching back. And, you know, Herndon, when he comes back from his four game suspension is going to dominate some targets too. All those guys are going to dominate the short underneath targets. And Robbie Anderson's going to be the only guy, um, you know, going deep. So I think he'll still have that role. Um, he's not a guy that's going to need a ton of targets anyway to hit value. So, you know, that guy with that kind of upside, his skill set, 
I think he still makes sense to target, you know, especially if he's going outside of the top 30. Um, so he's been a guy I'm, I'm getting quite a bit of later on, just as my bench stash, because he has, he has one of the highest upsides from this tier. Yeah, Anderson, he's a polarizing guy for me. I think I'm a bit lower uh, on him than, than most of the industry. And, and then you, Sean, I, I just think that um, if you're in a traditional redraft league, it's tough to um, predict him. But, you know, you kind of mentioned that he, he is going to be that guy that's going to get the deep, deep targets. But the floor in, in any given week, I, I think, is, uh, is pretty low. And it's going to be hard to kind of sometimes figure out, okay, well, when is Robbie Anderson going to have his, his, his games? I think he's a much better a best ball pick if, you, if you're picking him as a, yeah. a wide receiver three. Because even, you know, last season, you know, through, you know, through week 11, he had played in – in in uh you know he had averaged only 5.3 targets a game 43.3 yards a game and then you know as he always does he kind of he kind of comes on late uh when everyone gets hurt and then over the rest of the season 8.5 targets 68 yards a game so um you know he's a guy that i think is a little more boomer bust that i I'd much rather have in a uh, best ball format mike gonna kick it back to you who are some guys you're fading in this tier I'm really starting to to question myself here. I don't like disagreeing with Sean, like ever. Uh, Sean's Sean's a good dude, and he's a smart dude, and I know that he puts a lot of time into it, but uh, I will own zero Robbie Anderson. Um, Anderson, <laughs> he's going inside the top 30 receivers right now, and that's just that means is he, you're, people are relying on him as an every-week starter, and that's an issue for me because, I, first off, I don't trust Adam Gase literally. I, I trust my two-and-a-half-year-old more than I trust Adam Gase. Like, I, I, I think that speaks volumes because I don't trust my two-and-a-half-year-old at all. But – I mean, like when you talk about the plays per game that he had in Miami, I, I understand that the talent there may not have been great, but the defense on the defensive side of the ball, they've added some players in free agency. They've been building that defense. Hopefully they're expecting it to take a step forward. I think Gase is going to run sub 60 plays per game. Sam Darnold's still a young quarterback. I know people are excited about him, but let's be real. Sam Darnold was not like rookie of the year material last year. He wasn't like lights out. I know he stepped up towards the end of the year and that's what people are remembering and that's fine. But I, I think they bring in Jamison Crowder when we had uh, Danny Amendola sign and then Albert Wilson sign and we're like what the hell is what are they doing there and it's like the slot roll seems so important and he's already talked about Jamison Crowder you know racking up over 70 receptions that's going to hurt uh Adam Gase has also talked about you know uh extending Robbie Anderson's route tree we need him to run more than a couple routes Adam Gase holds grudges like this is a real thing like it's 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 stupid that we have to talk about stuff like that but I, I kid you not Adam Gase is one of the worst when it comes to holding grudges which is why I won't own Le'Veon Bell I won't own Robbie Anderson I won't own anybody on the Jets if I can help it I, I, I believe it's gonna be a very inconsistent team uh guys that you can't predict even last year Robbie Anderson Muhammad Sanu had more wide receiver two performances than Robbie Anderson last year and now Le'Veon Bell and Jameson Crowder have been added to the mix Adam Gase has been added to the mix I understand the want to believe in Anderson because he flashes at times like he's a very efficient receiver this is nothing against Robbie Anderson the receiver but more about the situation and it kills his value to me I, my thing with Anderson if you're in a redraft league I probably pass on him hope that he has like a couple bad weeks to start the year ends up on the waiver wire when Quincy and was out in week seven Jamison Crowder goes down with like a soft t- tissue injury for the year and like week 10 and is put on IR uh and, and Le'Veon Bell misses an inevitable game all of a sudden you're, you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna pick up, you're gonna pick up a guy that's gonna get like 10 targets and, and not only get the deep catches but he, he's gonna get like six for 156 uh and two yep. touchdowns so I I mean, that's kind of my strategy with Anderson. I like him a lot more uh, in best ball. A guy, um, you know, I'm targeting again in this range is Christian Kirk. I just think, you know, th- th- he, he was up at a 19% target share last year. That's with Larry Fitzgerald there. Um, I think the year two jump 
uh, w- will be superb for him with uh, with Cliff Kingsbury in this offense. I think he's tailor-made for it. I think they're going to run a lot more plays. Uh, I think the quarterback uh, quality goes up. Um, and, and, yeah, it's guys, uh, a guy that I am looking to to fade, I think it's, you know, mentioned. Oh, and another guy, one, one thing, I think Will Fuller. I mean, I don't care. I don't care if he gives me 12 games. Like, I, this is – I'd rather get Will Fuller – for, for 12 games and a lot of other guys for 15 or 16 because, I mean, with, with Deshaun Watson in the lineup, Will Fuller averaging a touchdown per game, 71 yards on six targets. I mean, if we talk about Tyler Lockett having to, to, to have supreme efficiency on, on about six targets per game, just wait a little longer and, and draft Will Fuller. And, and you know, he'll probably miss some more games than the, than the average wide receiver. But when he's on the field, he is money. I think Hopkins – Fuller, Kute, 30%, 20%, 20% respective target shares. Uh, that's what Houston does. They don't really spread it around a lot. They release their, their top tight end target, uh, Ryan Griffin, who signed with the Jets. So uh, I'm very bullish on, on Fuller as well. But, yeah, uh, fading Anderson for, for the reasons discussed. And uh, Corey Davis, not really a guy I'm too, too excited about. Uh, you know, he was the wide receiver 41, and this is getting all of the targets, you know, 25% target share, air yard share, uh, you know, even higher than that. Like, he, he, I think last year was Corey Davis's year to really explode, uh, and he kind of was still a little bit underwhelming. Now, I know their pass volume is low in, in Tennessee, but I, I think, you know, with Arthur Smith taking over as the OC, he's talking about riding Derrick Henry. He was there last year uh, when Matt LaFleur did the same thing. I don't know if too much is going to change just not really bullish on, on Davis. I think last year, you know, you, the year two breakout, that's what it was. I think he's going to kind of level off into, into this, um, into what he is. But um, I, I am with you guys on Alshon and A-Rob. I think those guys both probably uh, outperform their ADP. So let's, uh, let's talk real quick about just deep league guys, just guys just almost completely off the radar that you can almost draft for free or at least just, just steal for, for a very high upside bench stash. So first we'll go with the, the high upside bench stash. Mike, who's the guy outside the top 36, but inside the top 60, um, you know, so in that wide receiver four or five range yeah. that you are just extremely bullish on compared to the industry. I think Anthony Miller is someone that I'm willing to invest in uh, outside that range because like he, his, his draft cost, I mean, he's going as like the 53rd wide receiver off the board and uh, in, in public leagues, whereas like ECR, like uh, a lot of experts are higher on him than that. And the reason is because, you know, at, coming out of Memphis, he had a broken foot. He couldn't participate in the combine. People didn't know too much about it. And then he played, he dislocated his shoulder. They said six different times during the season, like h- how hard it is to play through that. I actually got to see Anthony Miller uh, in training camp and uh, there's, there's some Odell Beckham to that kid's game. Uh, and I know that that's, that's really high praise, but I'm telling you, the kid can run routes. He can separate. He plays in the slot. Matt Nagy understands it. He knows how to use it. They traded up for the kid. He did well in the red zone. Trubisky started gravitating towards him. When he got opportunity, he performed. And I happen to think that Taylor Gabriel's 92 targets from last year are going to start shifting towards Anthony Miller now that he's healthy. So Anthony Miller has breakout potential written all over him in this offense. I think the Bears offense can produce two top 30 wide receivers. Allen Robinson is still the number one, but you know, Anthony Miller is someone that you can get like much later in drafts and you get plenty of upside with him. Yeah. Matt Nagy wanted to use Taylor Gabriel, like Tyreek Hill, not realizing that Taylor Gabriel only scores touchdowns and gains yards on turf. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, I think now he got guys like Cordell Patterson, Miller entering year two. Yeah, I'm totally with you. I think those targets will start to siphon to other guys uh, from TG. Sean, how about you? Some guy you're targeting as a wide receiver four or five. 
at this range, um, like I mentioned, James Washington um, is my guy. And, you know, Robbie Anderson. <laughs> you know, I, I know you guys shit all yeah, over him. But Mike. if people are drafting him as, like, a starting wide receiver, like the wide receiver three, that's crazy. I, I get that. But he's already my first bench guy. Um, but, you know, James Washington is another guy. But super deep guys, I have two guys outside of the top 80 um, that I, I like as this, you know, a last round dart throw. Um, the first one would be Paul Richardson. I think his ADP right now is like 90 or something. Yeah. And, you know, the the Redskins depth chart is awful. So he, he has a shot to be the leading receiver this year. Um, so sign me up for that late round. But in deep, deep leagues, I love stashing Josh Reynolds if you can afford the bench space. But, you know, we talked about the Rams receiver situation earlier. Um, if If either of Cook's Woods or Cup goes down. I mean, he's he's going to play eighty percent of the snaps, and we saw last year with with Cup out weeks eleven through seventeen. Um, he's the wide receiver thirty two, so he's not a sexy pick. He's just a game three play of you know if one of these guys goes down, he's going to insert himself in the lineup and uh, put up you know borderline wide re- wide receiver three numbers. So you really can't find that outside of the top eighty. You're typically gambling anyway, so he at least has an easier path to kind of uh, give you fancy value. All right, and Mike, uh, just a deep league guy, then I'll, uh, I'll come with both of mine, and uh, we'll get out of here. You guys remember how I said Tyler Lockett at the beginning of the show? I said that there was just one game all year he had more than six targets. Yeah, David Moore didn't play until halfway through the season. David Moore had two games with more than six targets. So <laughs> David Moore uh, was targeted like on, on a more frequent basis than Tyler Lockett when they were both in the lineup. So uh, David Moore, he's like the 90th wide receiver off the board or something like that. I have him ranked up at number 56. I do think it's possible that DK Metcalf earns his way into that lineup, and you know, but he's considered a raw receiver. It's going to take some time. So David Moore, uh, we've seen with Chris Carson. If Pete Carroll really does like someone, he'll stick with him. And, you know, David Moore, I don't think, did anything last year to lose that role. So, I mean, as of right now, you're getting a starting wide receiver that could potentially, if, if all things remain the same, that could potentially lead that wide receiver core in targets. And that's what I'm looking for in a, in a late-round pick, someone that has that crazy upside with Russell Wilson that literally it just seems like nobody realizes it. All right, so I know I think Mike, you and I have been agreeing a little bit more than, than, than Sean and I in this particular show, or than you and Sean. I mean, you guys just <laughs> – going at each other but uh I do have to disagree with you on more I think last year was the kind of the year for the more value I, I loved him uh you know he just flashed a ton in preseason they didn't have much you, you knew Baldwin was going to kind of go down but this year I think it's complicated because you have Metcalf as a guy who could replicate that role and yeah. and Jerron Brown is a player who they've been talking up as a guy that's going to be in that top three and this is a team where I pay attention to who they talk up because Pete Carroll he doesn't care like what you know he's going to play the guys that he thinks should play. Um, I like more, but I just think there's a danger that he drops um, out of that top three at some point because of the presence of Metcalf. Now, um, real quick though, Chris, if, if we watch preseason and we see clear cut, he's the number two, like on two wide yeah. receiver sets when Russell Wilson's in there in the preseason, where do you draft David Moore? I think you draft him as a top 60 guy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like he, That's yeah. right. Absolutely. Um, you know, with me, what I kind of do for guys like this at this point of the offseason is I'm, I'm splitting those targets a lot more evenly between. Right, yeah. And then I kind of, as we get more information, as, as puff piece season ends and we start <laughs> hearing what's really going on in camp and really running with the one, <laughs> then I kind of update. So stay tuned for updated rankings on actionnetwork.com. I know I was on vacation for a little bit, but I'll, I'll be back to have those updated daily. I'll be updating them all every hour almost. So, um, Go check that out. But, um, yeah, my guys are Antonio Callaway as a deep guy because Mm -hmm. this is a guy who it's like like David Moore except 
he's gonna he is gonna be on the play. He's gonna be that guy. I you know that third receiver. Like I think I think Rashard Higgins is gonna still be that fourth. I think Callaway entering year three. I, I'm a lot more bullish on him. Like retaining and holding on that job and you have Najoku you have uh Landry you can't give him first downs you still have to protect the the, the box because you have Chubb and you're gonna have Hunt and of course you have Odell who you're gonna have to devote to to in almost every play Antonio Cowell is getting single coverage all year long from a quarterback that I think has the best chance outside of Mahomes to throw 50 scores this year so give me Callaway who by the way once Freddie Kitchens took over Mayfield 10 yards per target to Callaway uh uh, 66% completions. And this is a guy 14.4 a dot uh, over that last half of the season. So really like the upside there. And if anyone happens to go down and Landry wasn't even that efficient with Mayfield, like the one guy who wasn't. So I think, um, I think Beckham will help that, but I think Callaway might do a little better than we expect. Uh, I don't think he'll be, I think it'll be a lot, a lot like a super, super rich man's uh, Chris Conley. Like, I don't think he'll just be kind of in there to, to, to run routes and disappear. Like I think he'll actually get the ball. Um, and, and as far as just a couple guys, you know, wide receiver four or five guys that I think could be wide receiver threes, Kiki QT in Houston. I think, again, I think that target share is just so concentrated that QT is still going to get around 20% of the targets. You also have that upside of, you know, Hopkins already struggling with some injuries. Fuller, QT, also guy who's been injury prone, but the bottom line is Deshaun Watson is a top five quarterback in this league. Uh, and he's going to be, he's, he's not going to be spreading the ball around past his top three guys very much. So you have a lot of upside. I think the floor is a lot higher than, than people think. Um, and mixed games are really hard to predict. So um, Kute is a guy for me. And uh, Curtis Samuel as well. I think he's kind of David, uh, DJ more arbitrage as much as I like more. Uh, you know, Samuel was right behind him in, in targets and in catches and all that stuff uh, over those last five, six weeks of the season. So I think you're getting some value there with Samuel going just outside of the top 40. Fellas, this is a good show. I, I liked it. I'm glad we had some kind of differing opinions because wide receiver, in my opinion, is the toughest position to project. It's the one that is probably going to win you the most leagues because, you know, as Sean mentioned earlier, you're going to find some running backs somehow. You're, the guys you drafted are going to go down. But wide receiver, how you pick these guys in, in those early to middle rounds and, and then stashing some late guys it could make or break you. Um, so, so really happy um, that we got to talk about this. Mike, really thankful that you got to join us and, and really take, appreciate you taking the time. Uh, tell us where they can find you, what you're up to, um, because you do some really excellent work. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, guys. I, I, thanks for having me on. Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter at Mike Taglier NFL. Uh, this is the time in the offseason where I'm actually able to answer some questions. But uh, in season, I do uh, this. The, it's called the primer where I go through and I talk about every player from every game. Uh, like, honestly, like I wrote a paragraph on every player. It's like 30,000 words a week. So hopefully that guys helps, that helps you out. It's from both a season long and a DFS standpoint. That's my heart and soul. So if there's any questions left after that, I probably can't answer them. Go bother Sean or something. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent stuff. And uh, Sean, tell them where they can find you uh, on Twitter and, and, and what you're working on. Uh, I'm at the odds maker or at the underscore odds maker. One of the most recent pieces I did was um, I, I went in and projected each starting running back to be out in my weekly projection model to kind of evaluate, you know, backup running backs, handcuffs, just bench stashes, which I mentioned. That's that's my mo when. It comes to season long uh, is, you know, load up on backup running backs and just, you know, take advantage of the chaos of the in-season injury situation. 
Absolutely love it. And you guys can find me on Twitter at Chris Raybon. You can find mine, Sean's, and Matthew Freeman's rankings on actionnetwork.com. Our fantasy tool is live. Go check it out. We have all our player projections, not just the rankings, but all the stats. Till next time, this has been another edition of the Action Network podcast. We will be back next week with another NFL episode. Peace out.